All right, welcome to the Fuzz Club. Today we're talking about one of my all-time favorite Stoner Rock albums by one of my all-time favorite Stoner Rock bands, Lowrider. We're talking about Ode to I.O. So before we get rolling, let's do some quick intros. What's up, guys? Ryan. I'm Ryan from High Desert Queen and Lick of My Spoon Productions. Hey, everyone. i um, Pat from Monstriff, uh, where you can find all of your Stoner Rock news including a very old review of, of this album from 2020 before I was consistently uh, reviewing albums and I had no idea what I was doing. So apologies if you stumble across it. I did stumble across it. We're going to talk about some of it because uh, it actually helped me in, in some of my uh, my research. Oh, here, so yeah, I think it was good. Jed? Are we calling 2020 very old? Because I have a really skewed sense of time. If that's Mon similar. Monster Riff only goes back to, to late 2019. So it's, Got it's it. old for Monster Riff. Got it. Got it. Because I'm coming from a whole different uh, <laughs> notion of old. Uh, my name is Jad. I run Blues Funeral Recordings uh, and Magnetic Eye Records. Um, and I sing in the band Blue Heron. Eh, I'm Blake from IWAS. I Chris don't run from Eddie from Lords, Eddie from Lords of Opium Church and the Endless. Right on, cool. Um, so where to start with this album? Uh, came out in in two thousand, and it came out on Meteor City, which Jad, I believe you know something about. Yeah, I started Meteor City in nineteen ninety, the end of ninety seven, beginning of nineteen ninety eight, in the nineteen nineties. Nice. Yeah, and Lowrider was, I believe, the first band we ever signed. So tell oh, us wow. about that. What was it about that band that uh, you decided to either sign them as your first band, or or how did that happen, or or was it the the fact that they kind of sounded like Caius? Because we're gonna get get into that a little bit. I know that there was a lot of comparisons to Caius, and we'll kind of talk about that. So what was sure. it that that drew you to Lowrider and uh, wanted to put this album out? All right, you're going to have to, at some point, you're going to have to give me some sort of length limits here because I could just end up hijacking this whole thing to talk about the dawn of Stoner Rock for two hours. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, well, so uh, from my perspective, the whole Stoner Rock thing really kind of came together in the wake of Caius ending in 1995. And then the internet was kind of just coming up. Caius had just ended, and it turned out <laughs> there were a lot of people who really liked that band and that sound and missed it and the idea of just starting to find ways to connect with and communicate with other people around the world who share that same kind of musical sensibility and that that sense of loss a little bit of having lost that band uh, before they really had a chance to kind of do what it felt like they were could had the potential to do um was an interesting way to have the internet become part of our lives so right as i got out of college i ended up uh, with my best friend starting a, a web store um, dedicated to essentially music for people who wish there was more music from Caius. And so we were just kind of finding other bands who fulfilled that. And uh, shortly after starting the online store, we had, somebody suggested the idea that we should put out a compilation of bands um, kind of in that this new burgeoning style. And so we put out a call for demos um, and submissions. And Lowrider was one of the ones we received. And uh, they sent in a two-song demo. And one of the songs was their early demo version of Texas Part 1 and 2. And and it was just immediate and instant. I mean, it was, we, we weren't looking for bands who sounded like Caius. We were just digging music that kind of had a little bit of that feel. And we weren't even sure exactly what 
that was yet. Nobody had entirely accepted this term stoner rock yet. It was, it was coming into being, but it wasn't widely loved, <laughs> especially by a lot of the bands who got branded with it. But, sure. you know, you knew there was a thing that was different than classic heavy metal. And it was a little bit like grunge, but less polished. And it had elements of punk and it had elements of heavy rock, like radio rock, but not again, not corporate and not radio. And so there were a lot of bands making music that satisfied that, but not a lot of bands who were channeling that groove that felt like the desert um, that Caius really uh, captured. And uh, Lowrider along with Dozer, were really the first two that felt like, oh, okay, they somehow are getting it. And it was bizarre that they were both from Sweden. Like, how do two yeah. bands from Sweden lock in so perfectly to that vibe and that groove and that sensibility when they know nothing about the desert? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, like, how well do you know the guys in Lowrider at this period? Because, like, where does that, where does that inspiration come from, being in, in Sweden? And where did they get this idea to, to have this band like Lowrider at that time? They were Caius fans. We met, we all, we all, we didn't meet, but we connected because there was a, again, to, I mean, if you can, if you can imagine the early internet when it felt like there was about 35 websites, somebody had built a website for Caius fans. And one of the pages on this super clunky website was a little place where you, like, if you were a super fan of Caius, you could put your name and your email address and list your collection of Kaya stuff that you had, like of, you know, which rare singles and seven inches and stuff. There were like eight people on this list. And I, I think I got added to the list right as I was finishing college. I was like the ninth guy on the list. And on that list was like Tommy from Dozer, his brother, Kimo, who was in Demon Cleaner, their buddy, Martin, who was in Demon Cleaner, Peter from Lowrider. I mean, it was just, it, it, was, it was like all those guys. So we kind of connected. I mean, my first exchange with any of those guys was I was, trying to trade this Kaya seven inch that I found in a local record store in St. Pete, Florida for a bunch of other Kaya stuff that I hadn't been able to find yet. I think I, I don't even remember which one of those guys had it, but that was our first interaction before I had a label or a store and they, before they really had a developed band. So uh, we were all just Kaya's fans. Um, and for me, it kind of took this sort of entrepreneurial business direction. And for them, it took a musical direction. Um, again, I don't think they were trying to copy Kaya's. I just think, they loved Caius and they and it made them want to start a band. Um, yeah. You know, that I'm sure people are sick of that anecdote about Velvet Underground that, you know, they only sold a thousand records, but everybody who listened to them started a band. It felt like Caius had that same right. influence. You know, yeah. they didn't have a ton of fans. They certainly weren't, they weren't household names, even though they managed to do a few things before they broke up. Um, but a they inspired a lot of people to want to pick up instruments and start bands kind of in that style. Um, yeah, I always thought that that com comparison, because they, they especially Lowrider, especially this album, it felt like a lot of people brought up a comparison to Caius. And I was like, for one thing, you know, it was five years after Caius broke up. There's lots of things that are very different than Caius, in my opinion. But also, like from someone that didn't grow up listening to Caius, I kind of came into it retroactively and kind of discovered Lowrider around the same time. Hmm. I was like, who cares? Like I'm, I'm glad that there's someone doing Caius type music because if Caius is broken up for five years at this point, like that sounds awesome to me. Sure. Yeah, yeah I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I think at the time, I, I, the comparisons weren't really a problem because it wasn't like they were, they, they weren't intentionally ripping anybody off, and they weren't ripping off anybody active, even if there was, you know, some, some obvious influence. It's not like 
it's not like a band who really wanted to sound like Tool and love Tool was trying to play while Tool was also playing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, there was so what was the reception to this album like when you when you put it out? Because it seems like it's kind of grown in in legend almost over the years, especially with a 20 year absence and then putting out refractions in 2020 and all that kind of stuff. But even like their Wikipedia page is just like they put out this record. People thought they ripped off Caius at the end. That was like their whole page. So so what was the reception? Is that the Wikipedia page? Wow. Something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. <laughs> So what was what was the reception like in, in your mind as you put this record out? No, I mean the reception was pretty massive. I mean, with, I mean they had the one song on the, the first compilation we did. Folks loved that and went crazy for that. So we invited them to do a split uh, with Nebula. Those songs were amazing, um, and then that that first full length Otayo was one of the best received and best selling. Uh, things that we put out i mean that this is this is the days when record labels were cds so we i mean i think i mean we sold a few thousand of that on cd which was saying a lot back then i mean there was no streaming and and vinyl was was it existed but it wasn't the way it is now um it hadn't come back the way it has in the last five ten years um so yeah but i mean it was it was immensely well received i mean they did a few little tours and pe people loved it and for a lot of years people were always asking when is more lowrider coming and i'm going i have no idea um you know we weren't really the kind of label to was sort of lighting, lighting a fire under people saying you got to do something you got to do something and they just kind of uh weren't in any hurry and i can't speak entirely to what exactly I mean, it wasn't anything bad they didn't like break up or people didn't get pissed at each other they just uh they just didn't do what some bands do and stay active i mean people moved to different parts of of the country and they all stayed friends and they would get together and play a fest every once in a while but then they but they weren't just you know actively meeting and rehearsing and writing and, and trying to move forward the way some bands do and it just the next thing you know you know blinked it it's been 15 years um yeah. Chad, do you know how how old the band members would have been uh, at that time? I do. Uh, <laughs> Peter, the singer, bassist, main songwriter, who essentially started the band by himself before kind of recruiting everybody else, was sixteen when he wrote Texas. I'm sorry, he might have been fifteen. I think he was sixteen when he sent us the demo uh, that he Damn. basically performed everything on, and he recruited the rest of the guys. The rest of the guys were two to three years older than him for the most part, but all, all in that same range. But yeah, so he was like 16, 17. I think when they were started, when they, when they went to record Otayo, I think he was 17 and the rest of the guys were like 19, 20. So I, I was wondering about that. Cause like, I look at pictures of them and I'm like, man, they look like they're my age, but I was like a kid in the nineties. So like, I, I, he's not, he's not too much older than me then. They were real actual kids in, yeah. in him, especially when they would, when they were doing that. I mean, it's astonishing. It's like Which a silver is a, chair song or a silver chair band. Right. Well, well, and it's another funny Caius parallel because Josh Homme was super young, so when, young. when they started when he started Caius. So, um, yeah. And I think that's probably a good reason, or not a, I can say good reason, a reason why it took so long for them to do something else, right? Life kind of happens at that age, right? As as a little older than that, and. I think it was kind of funny. You said they were in no hurry. That's probably the understatement of the podcast there. <laughs> uh, it took 20 years for another record, but uh, they, you know, I, I've talked to the guys as well and they were just kind of like, they weren't in a hurry, you know, but they were just life kind of happened. They all went different directions. And, and uh, all I know is the 20 years that they waited to write a new album was impressive because a new record was phenomenal yeah but worth the, but, worth uh, the wait yeah. worth the wait yeah absolutely it's, there's very few 
bands I might have waited 20 years for. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Lowrider is one of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to think about musicians in their early 20s. That's exactly the time when you probably have the freedom to really pursue music hard, when you have no other real responsibilities pulling your attention away. But it's also the time in your life where you probably have the least amount of discipline and urgency to put the kind of time and effort into it that you must if you really want to make it go. And yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Was there any real like possibility of making like a, a a full living off of a band like this at that time? Like if they would have kept going, if they would have put another record out like a year later, would this have been their day jobs at this point? Or <clears throat> that, was that not, not possible? I mean, that's hard for me to speak to. I'm trying to think of a close parallel because Dozer came out around the same time and Dozer hit it a lot harder than they did. Dozer put out, you know, they were much more prolific. They were touring. They were leveling up in terms of the size of fests and so forth and at tours that they were doing. Um, and I don't think that Dozer got to that point either. They definitely got to yeah. the point where they were bringing home money on some of their tours, um, and they were, you know, they, they actually had positive income on record sales. But I don't think they were at a point where that they that would have been able to become all that they were doing, even when they hung it up for a while. Um, Truck Fighters might be the next closest thing, and even they had to sort of diversify. Right? They basically were putting out records, doing tours, running a label booking and and i honestly don't know if the, the truck fighters guys have other gigs if they do they, I, I they, must they, not, do. they must not sleep then so with all the yeah. other stuff that they've just got going on but um yeah. uh so yeah it's i mean it's you know except for being one of those rare bands where you you somehow get to that level on a live capacity where you're you're making so much money and you're touring constantly i mean they would have had to do that i think um, mm -hmm. for that to be possible so let's talk about the actual album itself. Um, to me, like I said, this album is like a, it's like a top five for me. If someone asked me what should they listen to getting into Stoner Rock, this is definitely one of the first things I've done. It's fairly simple. It's pretty straightforward Stoner Rock, which is just what I, I like. I mean, there's definitely comparisons to Caius and whatnot, but they kind of just have their own version of it. Dozer's a good comparison. Um, but I, I think that this is just a, a masterpiece of a Stoner Rock album. Anybody else have any thoughts on this thing? I mean, I, I'm kind of, I, I was, I was listening to that uh, kind of the back and forth that you guys were having. And, and I don't know whether I'm just the odd one out here, but I think there are so many other stoner rock bands that sound way more like Caius than Lowrider. I think they honestly mm -hmm. have their own sound that, especially That's if you why it was at, always so weird that that comparison got brought up specifically with this band, specifically with this record so much, because I feel like there are other bands that sound even more similar to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I found I found Caius when I was 12, so that would have been 04. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't know there was anything else like this at the time. At that time. Yeah. Um, I found Lowrider several years later. And while I heard certain similarities, I mean, you can tell they're using like a neck pickup. They're using probably a, a fuzz pedal or an overdrive pedal, you know, pentatonic scale riffs, things like that. I thought the low rider was doing something actually a really, really different than Caius. So I, I didn't know if anyone had any similar thoughts about that, especially re-listening to it. Cause I, I even, I was reading up on low rider again, just to kind of refamiliarize myself. And I saw a lot of stuff like you were saying, Ryan, about the comparisons to Caius, like even in their bio on either Spotify or Apple music, I can't remember which 
it, it name drops Caius of saying that they got compared to them. <clears throat> and I mean, I get the comparison. It's the same genre, but I don't compare, you know, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think the Caius reference is interesting because I, I mean, I, I found Lowrider through Caius. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think their order was I found Caius, of course, and then I, I discovered Dozer um, first, and then I found Lowrider probably around 2001, maybe not too long after the record came out. Uh, and I didn't think it sounded like Caius. I think the groove is there. I mm -hmm. mean, the groove, yeah. like the thing that makes Caius to me stand out is, is their groove. I mean, their rhythm section is just stupidly talented. And the same with Lowrider, it just grooves and it has that kind of like what I call stoner rock, something that's heavy rock that's derived from blues and the desert and this kind of the music moves. And um, they yeah, have Black Flag playing blues songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see, they have that, but I don't think you know they. I don't think they sound like Caius at all. There's, they're they're in my opinion like fuzzier. Uh, you know, and then, then, then Caius is, and and uh, I don't know, I think that the, I can see the comparison because there's not a lot of bands that they're, I guess, one of the first bands that spawned after Caius that kind of made waves, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't now at this point, when there's like this whole like resurgence of stoner rock and all oh, these bands and all this everything. Now it seems silly to even make that comparison because it's like, duh, yeah, we know everything sounds a little bit like Caius yeah. for obvious reasons. But I guess maybe at that point when there was like six <clears throat> bands, yeah, maybe, exactly, maybe it made more sense. <laughs> and five, and five of them from Sweden. Yeah, right. the hell is that even, exactly. How's all that even happen? <laughs> but yeah, I think they're definitely uh, Lowrider is more vocally melodic and varied than than Caius to me. Like Caius has that kind of. The less dimension in the vocals, for sure. Aggressive, and right? The aggressive Caius. Yeah, like, Caius you know. is kind of more, yeah, like, it's a drier, almost like this guttural scream or throat scream, where the lowrider stuff varies. It's got a bit of that, but then it's got a lot more melody and some harmony here and there and stuff, too. I love the vocals in this record, and I didn't realize that until I was listening. I listened to it a couple times in the car today and really kind of listened into all of the layers they have on the vocals and just his approach. Like I, I found this, uh, there's this review from dude man 88 on rate your music. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Something about Caius while fairly solid instrumentally, if not a little samey, the vocals are almost a deal breaker. It's all of John Garcia's attitude with none of the chops. And <laughs> I think that's wow. like, wow. I disagree not really, with that like, wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, well, no, agree, disagree even more if I read that, the whole quote. Um, <laughs> but I think I think yeah. he does such a good job of, like, he's not the world's greatest singer, but what I appreciate about him is he just brings it on every song, and there's that emotional impact in his vocals. And, like, I don't care if he can't hit a note. Like, I, I feel moved when he sings, and I kind of feel his energy, and that's what a good vocalist does beyond, like, melody and stuff like that. I don't want to say that vocally this this album could be seen as more uh, influential than Sky Valley or Blues to the Red Sun because it is like, I, I mean, I guess I see what the guy is saying about chops. Like John Garcia is kind of a one of one vocalist. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was Peter, right, Jad? 
I mean, yeah, he Peter does sings. most of the vocals. They both sing. Uh, Peter and Ola also sings and like Ola, the, the yeah. sort of higher register stuff. The, okay. the higher register cleaner yeah. stuff is the is the other guitarist. Um, but yeah, mostly Peter. Okay, so so his vocals are, in my opinion, a little more approachable as as a musician. Like, they I can I can understand clearly what he's doing there with you know like his throat and things like that and where he's singing from and everything. Um, John Garcia is just this kind of unattainable leprechaun that you can't really catch. Um, but I think that in a way, Peter's vocals, you know, 2000, you know, we're talking about 22, almost 23 years ago now, you know, like I would say in a way they might be more influential to a lot of people in the stoner rock scene than John Garcia's vocals. Because you don't really, if you see someone trying to attempt a John Garcia, they sound like an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, it's, true. Um, it's just one of those voices. It's like you don't try and do Robert Plant unless you're Chris Cornell. Sure. And you don't do John Garcia in our world. Because you're just going to fall short. Yeah, you're, you're, short you're just going to sound knows. like someone trying to be that. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone knows you're trying You're trying to do that as, as opposed to being original. Exactly. You're right. And Peter, and Peter was not trying to do John Garcia. He was trying to do him. Uh, I think, honestly, his his vocal style developed a lot over the years. I mean, it's it's – it's very specific on this record. And then you can kind of hear a progression. He had another band in the, um, like the 2010s uh, called IR Droid, where he gets a lot more sort of, um, it's a lot more like Josh Homme actually, uh, in terms of the vote, in terms of how he sings. And he's brought more of that into since coming back to Lowrider, he's doing that more so. I mean, I think it was a, a sort of a progression for him finding his vocal style. And, but again, what you're talking about when he was 17, 18, he, right. he had a certain range and he had a certain delivery that he was trying, but I don't think he was ever trying to do a John Garcia thing. So it's, Oh no. And I, I, I think that that's why I give him credit is he's not it, it to me. Yeah. I agree with you. All like he was, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot. Of I don't agree with whoever wrote that ridiculous review. <laughs> yeah, never, never, do you guys never, want his review? Full reviews, just so you can uh, poop oh, a little boy. bit more. Uh, <laughs> Let's go for it. It was two out of five stars. Definitely listenable and on occasion rather enjoyable, but the mediocrity is almost too much to bear at times. At the time of its release and years following, this album was hailed as the best jam since Caius went their separate ways. Hardly. While fairly solid instrumentally, and if not a little samey, vocals are almost a deal breaker. It's all of John Garcia's attitude with none of the chops. While I wouldn't tell a stoner rock enthusiast to avoid this album, I definitely wouldn't recommend someone go out of their way to purchase this. <laughs> that's, that's actually what all of us probably do the opposite. Like, I yeah, I'd just say this is definitely one of the first already, records I that I recommend like, to people. This yeah. is the gateway album, man. This yeah. is the gate. This, this is a great gateway album of like when I'm trying to explain the genre that Hydrogen Queen plays. I'm like, ah, check out a lowrider record. <laughs> everyone, then everyone's like, oh, is it like a a rap record or hip hop? Like, no, 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 no. Like, like, uh, and I have to give them, you know, like Odile or Refractions or something. In sure. a way, I think it's more approachable than Caius. If someone I is think just so. I mean, kind of love or hate John Garcia, I think for Caius, and and yeah. they do some weird stuff throughout Caius. Yeah. And they have some weird songs. Whereas this one is just like such a good overview of like what makes Stoner Rock great to me. It's good. It's yeah, good like I'm talking to someone roll, who man. mostly listens to pop music and they're like, "How? what Stoner Rock band should I check out? I'm not going to fucking recommend Caius. No, me neither. No. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, the first time I so heard what, are the, what are the high points on this record in, in your guys' opinions? What are, what are some of the, the best moments of it um, that makes it so special? And the opener is incredible. Yeah, that, just that, that initial riff. riff. It grabs that you riff. right away. 
Yeah. That's a phenomenal riff. It's fun to play. It is. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's groovy really and catchy. It's just yeah, it's fun music, pretty much. I think for me, uh, it, it's all about those those killer tones. Like the bass tone is phenomenal. Mm. And that yeah, break in uh, Texas Part One and Two, uh, like in the middle of the song. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it, man. So I fully, I full disclosure here. I I heard the album a few times over the years, but never really dug into it until we are doing this review now. And uh, every time there would be a bass break, I'd be like, "Fucking hell, man! That bass tone is just so wicked." Um, yeah. And then, and the same with the guitar tones. I love, I love all the tones on this record. And as much as I dig the songs, I really, I love like the, the playing. And uh, and those like solo bits and just the little like riffs and stuff are just fucking killer. Like you're hard pressed yeah. to find a weakness on this record. I oh, think. That was gonna be my my next question. Are there any low points in this this album? Hard pressed to find one of those. I don't I don't think there's necessarily a low point, but I think there's like a dividing line uh, in terms of the record. Yeah, um, and that that line is Sun Devil, which is probably the only yes. song that I skip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like it's literally. I, I mean, you can listen to it as a full album, but I hear two separate albums before Sun Devil and after Sun Devil. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, and for me, the Sun second Devil was half of a song. I wish, it, I wish they had like actually. I was waiting for that to go into full on distortion, and here comes a song. But yeah, just it's just like yeah. a. Yeah. Well, he did. He did on refractions, and you know why he I did it? Because because we got correct. into a conversation. He and I got into a conversation. Sorry to get sidetracked, but I find this funny and remarkable and i've never actually been able to tell anybody this that i don't remember how it came up he was still trying to decide what to what they were fleshing out songs for refractions and he mentioned sun devil and i essentially said what i just said to you guys which is i don't know man that's like, <laughs> it's like the only song that i skip on that record and it was almost like a, oh yeah i'll fucking show you and he turned that into <laughs> a real song that became yeah. a song that's worth listening to now on refractions but and i'm just all right jesus christ man i <laughs> that wasn't yeah, daring you. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah, right. I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm just saying that happens to be the only tune that I skip on the old record. But yeah. <laughs> so I think Sun Devil. I I don't skip it when I listen to this record because it's it's the bridge song for one. Like I know that because Suaro is my my favorite song on the album, and I know that that's coming out. You know, a couple songs after that. Um, but it's also it's it. I think I've mentioned this on a couple of different pods that we've done of it's very much in the black Sabbath vein of things of having like a, a lighter touch an acoustic song, things like that. Um, do I love sun devil? No, not at all. Um, I much prefer what's on refractions, but I think that it's an important piece in terms of, and I'm not sure how this works on the LP. Um, but it feels like that's almost the end of LP one before you go side C or as I imagine, I think this is a two, two LP album. Um, it is. But, although I don't actually remember. It's been so long since I pulled out the vinyl that I don't remember where Sun Devil sits. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to me, it almost sounds like the end of side B before you take out the next vinyl for, for side C. Uh, no, it's, it's right in the middle of track wise. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't hear necessarily two separate albums, but I hear two separate movements, almost kind of like, I, I think that's how they <laughs> describe it in like classical music or jazz or something like that. Sure. Because <laughs> the, then, then they have Texas part one and part two, which is literally 
a song with movements in it, you know? And, yes. And I, I always, I know Jad mentioned it, but I loved uh, when I got a chance to talk to Peter about how, cause I was trying to get him to come to Ripple Fest, Texas, and they're still very interested, but they were like, if there's a place we're going to play in the States, it'll be Texas because our first song we ever wrote mm -hmm. was Texas part one and part two. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it has being from Texas and of course having that conversation, that song on this album has a soft spot for me for sure. There's so many songs from across the record. I mean, again, obviously, you know that I'm biased, um, but I have released things over the years that I don't go back and listen to over and over again. Unfortunately, more than a few, but this is not one of them. I mean, this is like, I never get tired of it. I never get tired of Convoy 5. I never get tired of Caravan. I never get tired of Dust Settler. I never get tired of Saguaro. Um, it might just be like a mood thing. Which one do I want to put on? But I mean, like, and they're so singable and they're not just singable vocally. Like you sing the vocals, you sing the riffs too. The riffs yep, are just yep. such incredible, just earwig hooks that you just, I mean, I sing along with the song Otaio, which is an instrumental and I'm fucking right. singing it. Cause it's just so enrapturing and you just, and you, and that groove just gets going and it rolls at the, oh man, I'm going to listen to that when we get off the phone. <laughs> I was listening to all I worked out this morning. So. <laughs> Pat, do you remember uh, any of the details about what Ode to Io really means? <laughs> or, or Dad, do you know? Because I, I, I didn't know, and I was just about ready to start looking into it a little bit when I saw your review, and you kind of explore it a little bit. Yeah, I, I have theories, but Jad, if, if you know, you'd be better at taking point. I don't think we've ever talked about it. Um, I mean... What is it? It's a moon of Jupiter? Yeah, and it was uh, it partially in instrumental in helping us discover that the Earth goes around the sun instead of the sun going around the Earth. So it was, that discovery was very important to like humanity and our understanding of, of science and the, the cosmos. I don't know if, if that was it. There was also Io is a uh, character in like Greek mythology and there's some weird rapiness with like Zeus going on. And uh, it's, a, it's a really weird Greek mythology story. Um, I, I mentioned to a cow at some point, I think. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a fly sent to like bother her and stuff. And then Zeus comes back. And um, I, I like to think that it was like, it's, it's more related to like the discovery of that moon versus like some weird <laughs> story from mythology. <laughs> I think it is only because when he was working on some of the refraction songs, I jokingly suggested that one of the songs should be called Ode to Ganymede, which is a, what, another, it was a moon of Saturn, if I'm right. Uh, mm -hmm. And any, any like, he was, he, he was like, great. <laughs> I know one of the songs called Ode to Ganymede. So uh, <laughs> ev evidently it's more about the, the celestial bodies than about the uh, mythological <laughs> references. Good to know. Which is cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to say about this album? I I wanted to say that I, I love Sun Devil. <laughs> and I, I'm the odd <laughs> man out on that. Um, Jed, I appreciate your story about it on Refractions, because what I understand is it's a little bit similar on Ode to Io in that like they had it as they were like in the studio and they didn't know what to do with it. And so they were just like, let's just throw it in there. And I think its placement is good. I, I love it because... I just love the I love that riff and I think it's so infectious and it's a little bit of a love hate because I really wanted them to plug that in. I wanted that explosion, Ryan, that, that you kind of <clears throat> talked about, but that comes on refractions and I was so happy like opening up refractions for the first time and seeing it in there. I was like a kid on Christmas. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't say. Uh, I mean, I sh I shouldn't say that I know exactly that 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 was the re that was like the impetus behind him doing it. I just know that he was trying to figure out what refractions should be, like what combination of kind of brand new stuff. Uh, songs that they had started but never finished as a band and which older songs that they wanted to revisit. And so all I know is that was a conversation we had where he brought it up and and I was probably less enthusiastic about that particular, uh, like him mentioning that song specifically. And next thing I know, it was, it was no longer a hypothetical. That song was on the fucking records. So. <laughs> So, Jad, I think I, I pressed you a little bit on this when I talked to you on the podcast uh, quite some time ago. But do you know what Lowrider is up to currently and when can we expect uh, a follow up to Refractions? Yeah, they are uh, working on both their next sort of simultaneously working on their next album and then the split with Elephant Tree. Um, so I'm I'm releasing the split with Elephant Tree. That'll be next. Um, but. Peter is uh, committed to it not being nearly as long before there's more new music and including another full length album uh, as there was last time. So I know, you know, he's the main writer in the band, but you know, they also like, I think he brings a lot of songs to the band, uh, some fully fleshed out, some in, in chunks. Um, and then they, they kind of work through them and, and adapt them and adjust them together. But uh, he's, he's of course the, the driving force. Um, and so, and he has a lot on his plate. He has a lot of, uh, you know, he's being being both uh, in a band, having a job, being a professional designer and art director um, and video director and so forth. So, but he, he's making it happen. And, uh, and I just got a message yesterday from the guys from Elephant Tree that they're like three, three or four songs along on writing their portion um, of that record too. So um, if all goes well, it's going to be a split that contains, I couple of songs from each band that are just on their own and then one or two songs in which they do some some sort of collaboration and i'm trying not to uh overstate um or get myself overexcited about what that's exactly going to mean um because they're two of my favorite bands that i've ever had a chance to work with and so uh however that ends up coming into being i'm pretty i'm pretty stoked about but that should be well it has to be next year because it'll be the last release in the current uh post wax series that I'm in the process of releasing. So we're, we're four releases along as of dead meadow coming out. Um, so the other five will be next year and they will be last in order to give them <laughs> the maximum amount of time to get their shit together and, and, uh, and pull out some great tunes. Very cool. well, good news. So good news is we don't have to wait till 2040. Yeah, that's correct. You definitely do not have to wait till 2040 for at least a split. <laughs> okay, good. Good. And beyond that, I promise nothing. <laughs> I have a quick question. How did uh, the Nebula uh, Lowrider connection happen? Uh, that was that was actually through us, through myself and and my my best friend and partner Aaron uh, with Meteor City. So, um, I've told the story uh, before, but. Uh, Nebula was on tour and they were, they had stopped off in Fort Worth. There was a old, there was a record store called uh, Archie's Rock Shop and we were selling records to, to Henry Vasquez, uh, the guy who ran that. Um, they stopped and they were talking to him about how they were headed up to go record and they didn't 
that they weren't recording for a label and they didn't really know what they were going to do with it. And Henry picked up the phone and called us and said, Hey, the Nebula guys are in our shop. They want to do, do they want to talk to you? I'm like, all right. I've never talked to Nebula, put one of the dudes on the phone. And they said, yeah, we're on our way to Seattle to make a record with Jack and Dino. We don't really know how we're going to pay for it or what we're going to do with it. And I was like, tell me where to send a check. Um, <laughs> and so they went up and tracked four songs with Jack and we got those and it was kind of like, all right, do we just release an EP or do we pair them with another band? Four songs feels like an out, like a nice album side. And uh, that's when, you know, welcome to meteor city had, had been out for a little while and had gotten to a point where it was like, okay, this is people, people are digging this. We should do more. We should ask Lowrider for more music. And so um, if I remember right, I think, oh, you know what? Myself and my friend at the time, we actually were on a trip to Europe. We actually went to Europe and we went to the Welcome to Meteor City unofficial release party in Sweden. So Dozer, Lowrider, these other two bands, Demon Cleaner and Sparzanza, all of whom had songs on the Welcome to Meteor City comp were all playing. And so we basically went, spent one night in some little town in in the middle of Sweden where it was dark for three hours and the sun came back up at three 30 in the morning. And, uh, and Peter sent us out with a cassette of like the demos for these songs. And, and we listened to them on the train heading back to Europe. And it was just like, Oh my God, it's so good. That was Lama Neshma and Shivery and the Gnome, the Serpent, the Sun and Upon the Dune. And it was like, why don't we just put this together with that Nebula stuff and make that, make that the release. Um, you know, it, Splits now are, and for 15, 20 years have been pretty common. At the time, we kind of felt like we were semi-making stuff up. It's like not not that we hadn't heard of splits before, but but nothing was as established as it is now, you know, whether the sound or how, how a label does stuff or how a label makes decisions. We were just like music fans who were in the middle of learning how to run a record label while being fans. So it was like, yeah, this would be great. I, I love this. I love these four songs. I love these four songs. <laughs> Why don't we make, turn that into a record? And there, and that was that. Yeah, and I bought it. I bought it right away. I was, it was one of my prized <laughs> finds. Is when I was when that came out. I remember. Yeah, that. very cool. I actually listened to it to, today. I don't know that I knew it very well before this because I had heard the songs. They're on like the uh, deluxe edition, right? On like Spotify and stuff. But I, I don't know that I ever listened to the split. So I listened to that uh, today on on YouTube. So yeah, now they're on the deluxe edition of Otaio. So basically, now you buy Otaio and you get all that music as well. So it's essentially everything Lowrider did up yeah. to like in that in that point of their career. And a funny anecdote about that is when we were then later working with Wino in his band Spirit Caravan at the time to do an EP for us. I don't remember how, but he he heard some Lowrider stuff and he was like, "Hey, maybe we maybe we could put this EP on a split with Lowrider." I'm like, "Oh." We just gave it to Nebula, so <laughs> <laughs> this will have to Sorry. be your own your own EP, which turned out okay. But yeah, yeah. wow! Ooh, All right, that, that splits killer. Yeah, I agree. Any final thoughts? It's it's like that grind. It's one of my top. It's probably one of my top five records of all time because of what it did to me musically when I had been searching, ironically for bands that sounded like Caius. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though they don't, in my opinion, and in a lot of our opinions, uh, I discovered them and that record was on repeat for a probably solid decade. And uh, the big reason why I played the music I do there, that's a huge influencer for sure. For me, it was a, it was a weird feeling like discovering some of this stuff because I, I discovered this album 
and Astro Queens into submission around the same time. Hmm. And I was like, wow, I think I just discovered this new like genre of music. And then turns out they were both completely dormant bands. And I was like, okay, this <laughs> must not exist anymore, you know? And uh, turns out that was not correct, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, as the Doom guy on the podcast, uh, you know, Stoner Rock is, is, is not as high on my love list as, uh, as Doom generally is. But, you know, when I'm listening to Stoner Rock, you know, Lowrider's kind of number two in ter- next to Caius, if we're going to call Caius Stoner Rock or if there's just Caius is Caius. Um, but, you know, in terms of bands after Caius, that this is, in my opinion, the best one. Well, and if you want to, yeah, and if you're going to categorize Caius, for me, it was always Desert Rock, which yeah, people use these interchangeably. And I feel like, yeah, you can kind of use them interchangeably, but really there's a distinction. There's a difference between that particular sound. And, and as much as it's a, a con- maybe a contradiction to call bands like European desert rock, because what the hell's what is that? That's <laughs> yeah. really what Lowrider cultivated and what Truck Fighters and Dozer and, you know, Callous other bands, but especially those, those couple right in that early, those early years, it's like they they channeled a vibe that feels like the desert. Now, I mean, it's possible that I associate Caius with like their sound as sounding like the desert because I know that that's where they're from. And so I've just spent, you know, spent decades cementing that connection in my mind. But to me, that is what it sounds like now. When I think of a record that sounds like driving through a wide open desert canyon, it's Sky Valley and then it's Odio. Yeah. And they're just inextricable. Yeah. Lowrider's desert rock to me, but I know they're from Sweden, which is just so paradoxical but but that that's a stoner that's a that's a desert rock rock and roll record for sure yeah cool let's wrap it up why don't uh everybody tell us what you're up to and what's next on the in the plans ryan you want to lead things off cool speaking of sweden we play in sweden at the truck fighters fuzz festival uh in a what three weeks from now with with the likes of dozer Right on. And, uh, and and of course, truck fighters and, and Greenleaf and bands from that. So we are beyond excited to be a part of that. Yeah, cool. And uh, it's going to be awesome. And, and we've announced uh, things like Desert Fest London that we'll be playing at with some likes of a lot of other great bands. And and we're going to be announcing a tour with uh, somebody. You know, can't announce it yet. We're over there, and then a lot of other shows for for next year. It's going to be cool. <clears throat> Um, there, there's always new stuff on, on Monster Rift. There's new content going up every week. So if you like Stone Rock, if you like a little bit of Doom, uh, come read Monster Rift. Eddie, um, I don't, uh, uh, oh, here's Chris is back, but Eddie, go for it. Yeah, um, Lords of Lucky Church got a, a show coming up on December 10th at the Starlet Room for a Christmas event called Yuletide Bonanza 5. And the endless, we started jamming again after a couple of months and work on getting that album out there next year. Right on. Cool, man. Jed? Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind few months for Blue's Funeral. Um, we put out uh, the Odoliths record uh, a couple weeks ago, which has been getting a ton of praise. Um, great, great record. Fuck thanks. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've been. I mean, I, I knew how good it was. Uh, again, obviously I'm biased, but uh, I've been stoked to see the response from, from folks. 
Um, that's always gratifying. You know what I mean? Like when you when you feel like you know how good something is, and so does seemingly a lot of other a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, so that's been great for them, just because because they made just an amazing record and they deserve to have that thing heard. Um, and then we have this dead metal record dropping uh, at the beginning of December, um, and just looking ahead to um, my release schedule for for 2023, which um, is going to be pretty insane. I mean, new Acid King, new Dozer. Uh, Jack Jack Harlan and the Dead Crows, um, this lowrider elephant tree split, um, a split with uh, resin. Well, not a split, a collaborative album between resin and Venom Sabathi from Mexico. Uh, so, yeah, pretty much a packed release schedule there. And then Magnetic Eye, the same thing. We just released Costa Casanova, their new album, and Ruby the Hatchet's new album. Those are both fucking insane. Um, really good. Just fantastic bands. Um, and I've been stoked to see the response on those as well. Uh, and Doom comes out um, in just a couple of weeks. That's the project that we have that's got the throat singing match with Doom guitarists like Matt Pike and uh, Steve from Neurosis and stuff. And we then, were talking about that on the, the last After Hours, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that. It's, it's very cool. I love it. Yeah, it was so bizarre when that fell into my lap, but I'm really stoked that I got to be part of bringing that that thing to the world. And then, yeah, and Magnetic Eyes release schedule. I don't even we don't have time on this podcast for me to go through everything that we're doing next year, but it's going to be another. It's going to be a patch year for Magnetic Eye as well. Um, and then, yeah, and then Blue Heron's working on some stuff. We have a split coming next year as well with High Desert Queen that we're super excited about. So, as um, are we. Yeah, yeah, awesome. lots in the works. Blake? Uh, not as many things as that in the works. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've got a busy month ahead before I move uh, back to Texas, uh, back to uh, kind of Ryan's neighborhood. Yeah, um, back. Yeah, man. Looking, looking forward to being back. Uh, finishing up with uh, mixing on the second album. Uh, talked to my engineer this weekend, and that's looking to be done probably in the next couple weeks, then sending off to Masters, and we'll see what happens from there. Um, and then uh, just found out today I am working with uh, two of the guys from Secrets of Lost Empires to do a one-off show kind of as my Farewell to Phoenix on uh, December 8th. So if you're in the Phoenix area, we're playing the blues bar and uh, going to have a cool set of kind of jams and improv and psych stoner stuff. So should be a really good time. Cool. Cool, man. Well, uh, Chris keeps appearing and disappearing uh, from Ox. So everyone go check out Ox. I'm sure they're up to something, but he's probably not going to be here for the wrap of this episode. So, all right, everybody, uh, go check out Odio. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, for having me once again. Awesome. See you guys. Thanks,